polish your sled, shake up your snow globe, and stand under the mistletoe to return to Haven with us. This is Trouble, the self-proclaimed number one Haven rewatch podcast, debuting back in 2010 as a Sci-Fi Channel original show. Haven stars Emily Rose, Lucas Bryan, and Eric Balfour as they take on a different curse every week while trying to solve the mysteries of Haven. All right, if you couldn't tell from the new opening, uh, just for this Christmas special, we are covering... Haven's uh, season two Christmas special, Silent Night. Uh, and uh, I hope you guys are listening to this in summer. So you guys have a little Christmas in summer, just like the cast, the the crew did, considering Haven never takes place during winter. <laughs> right. And as usual, I am your first host in our father-son podcasting duo, Alex French. And this is Rich French, one of only two Frenches who know if Alex was conceived under the mistletoe. <laughs> Wow. All right. Starting the podcast uncomfortable. All right. I like to take it to that place. So like every episode, we like to start with a quick summary to get you guys up to speed in case you haven't seen it in a while. All right. So episode begins uh, with, uh, is it, what, what is that? Is that cert paddleboarding? Cert? What do you call it? Yeah, what that was a paddleboard. Yeah. Okay. She's on a paddleboard out in the ocean there at Haven. She's rocking out and all of a sudden uh silent night is heard and her arm is her arm is cut off and then we see her fall apart it's been she's been completely cut in half right uh we kind of cut away from her to audrey and nathan at cafe joe's in haven uh they're eating some breakfast uh cafe joe comes out with more food for audrey to thank her for all her work you know doing the troubles you know and helping them all uh you know and he implies that he has a trouble mm-hmm. so uh, pro bono he won't her, her money's not good there pro bono right and so audrey's trying not to accept but then they have a case of a, a girl claiming her mom has disappeared at the movie theater so they head over there to take care of that instead right so they go over to the theater they meet like the manager and says the girl is uh looking for her mom but you know she only has a dad she doesn't have a mom and then uh, young hadley comes up and that's who the girl turns out to be and while they're talking to hadley all of a sudden, they hear some struggle outside, and a guy who was hanging up Christmas lights gets them wrapped around his neck, and he's being strangled. Right, and what was served as prologue to his uh, uh, makeshift noose is Audrey hearing Silent Night again, and right. uh person who runs the theater saying, like, oh, no, our speaker system's been broken for years. Uh, so they uh, Nathan grabs him, Audrey gets him down. Uh, and that's kind of like the opening, right? The opening credits hit. Right. Then we get our original montage. Right. They could have at least sprinkled some snow into it. Come on. Uh, put a Christmas hat on <laughs> the witch trial guys in the background or something. Uh, I, I, I agree. At, at least like <laughs> string of lights, you know, just yeah. around the perimeter of the, the, the frame. It oh, have, yeah. Uh, or some frost, know. you know, some frost effect in the corners. Yeah, anyway. I mean. <laughs> we digress, but so next, uh, Nathan and Audrey are loading Hadley into the Bronco and, you know, Audrey's noticing all these people putting up Christmas decorations and she's like, it's July. And Nathan's like, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, quit being a Grinch. You just don't like, uh, you don't like Christmas because you don't have any family. So clearly, and Audrey gets so upset to the point where she uh, calls Lorraine and tells her to, you know, have, have people start rounding up people putting up Christmas decoration. And Lorraine's like, it's Christmas Eve. So we establish everybody thinks it's Christmas. Christmas Eve, except Audrey, who is immune to troubles, as we all know. So, uh, yeah. So uh, back at the station, uh, they meet Gordon uh, Chambers. He's Hadley's uh, father. 
And he's like, yeah, it's really hard not having a mother. Audrey's like, I understand that yada, yada, yada. He leaves. Uh, and so Audrey had been like, be on the lookout for somebody putting up Christmas decorations. They might be behind this. The other cops are like, we got a guy. He's in the jail cell. So she goes over there and finds Santa Claus sitting in the jail cell. Well, and who does Santa Claus turn out to be? One and only Duke Crocker, who th- loves Christmas and thinks it's a hilarious joke, much to uh, Audrey's chagrin. Right. And Nathan's like, oh, we're trying to cheer you up, cheer you up, blah, blah, blah. While they're all kind of talking at the front, though, Stan goes missing. Stan vanishes at the sound of Silent Night. And nobody else remembers there ever being a Stan. Right. So now not only do people are people vanishing and you know, in thin air, we also figured out that nobody remembers them ever of existing in the first place. So the countdown is on. Uh, next up, Audrey's like, okay, we got to find out who is this. this is a trouble. They're all kind of like, eh. but Duke goes with Audrey to talk to Joe uh, at the bakery, Joe's bakery. Cause you know, he had implied that he had a trouble earlier. So she's like, maybe it's this guy. So they head over there. Uh, Haven Joe's established <laughs> in 1949. Well, but when they get there, Joe is gone. Uh, it's a different guy, different waiter. They have no idea who Joe is. And then Duke also has no memory of Joe at all. So uh, cross Joe off the list. Yep. He is MIA. So uh, next they go to the shore to investigate that dead body we talked about earlier. But there's no one else there, and which concerns Audrey. So she calls Nathan and says, hey, send some folks down to help us out with this. And Nathan's like, I can't. We're the only two cops in Haven. <laughs> and then while that happens, Duke looks down and notices the bo- there's no longer a body under the tarp. So, well, yeah, well, he doesn't know. He's like, what's this tarp? What's under here? And Audrey's yeah, right. like, oh, my God. And so even the bodies are disappearing. <laughs> So next, uh, Audrey and Duke head to uh, the Haven Herald, and she's asking the Teagues to research any trouble similar to this one. They find one from November 5th, 1955, where a man says he made his family disappear. And there was also a picture of a full-size train on its own track circling around a field of horses in the center. And it turns out who was involved? None other than Arthur Chambers, who turns out to be Gordon's grandfather. So that makes Audrey think it must be Gordon who's the troubled one. And then as they're going through it, Dave mentions there are 3,101 people in Haven as it's listed on the cover of the paper. But then Audrey notices it should be over 20,000 people in Haven. So now if you hadn't figured it out, for sure, 100%, people are disappearing and they're disappearing fast. Okay, so they go back to the police station. Uh, to the Haven police station and, you know, try to convince Nathan to come help them. And he's like, what are you guys talking about? Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, now Duke's involved. Duke's like, why do you think there's so many open desks if there's only two police in here? Like, look at your old, you know, photograph for your uh, police graduation, which I got some questions about, uh, which (laughs) only has two of them on the stairs. So then. But uh, not close to each other. Yeah, yeah. Very far far apart. apart. Nathan finally kind of, and Audrey's like, you know, okay, all this stuff, but do you trust me? And he's like, okay. So then they go to investigate an accident out. Uh, uh, they go, they start driving to Derry, I think, or some shit like that to go find him because that's where Gordon was moving or something. But on the highway there, they find cars in an accident. And so they're checking them out. Uh, we find out Duke and Nathan wanted the same thing for Christmas way back in the day when they were kids. Uh, and while they're kind of looking at him, Duke and Audrey are having a moment and Duke disappears right right and said item they both wanted was a chrome lightning racer 
all of a sudden they see a bird fall from the from the ground fall to the ground and it's clear it ran into something and they realize that there is like a glass wall in front of them and that explains why one of the cars hit something and seemed to like a, a frontal impact and they even try to shoot it and they can't permeate this clear wall cutting off haven right so uh, we kind of figure out we're trapped in a gigantic snow globe. So they go looking for Gordon. Uh, they go to the family toy store, but it's abandoned. And there they find the train with the horses set up, just like from the old photograph. They realize someone of the trouble has been setting this up. They look and they see all the snow globes, finding one of Haven, realizing, ah, shit, here it is. Here's what's been set up. You know, this person creates something out of their toys and wishes to turn Haven into almost a giant toy fantasy land thing. Uh, Nathan drops the snow globe. Has he disappeared? No, it turns out he's just crouching uh, oddly. Uh, and Audrey's like, oh, shit, I almost lost. I was scared I lost you. And as they have a moment, Nathan really does it actually does disappear. disappear. So yep. Audrey heads over to Gordon's house. I don't know why we didn't go there in the first place, but we go to Gordon's house. Gordon's there uh, trying to make a, a new snow globe for his daughter and stuff because he wants to win her back because she's all upset and shit. Or, well, because he thought she disappeared and he doesn't, he's kind of distraught, right? Well, she she got Gordon's address from uh, Vince at the Haven Herald, where oh, Dave yeah, had disappeared. That's right, that's right, that's right. So yeah, yeah, they stop at the Haven Herald real quick, and Dave Dave is gone. Only Vince is there, and from his twenty soon nineteen members of town <laughs> that get the newspaper, she finds Gordon's address. Heads over, he's working on a snow globe. His uh, he's very distraught, and Audrey figures out through talking to him, it's not, it's not you that has the trouble. It's, it's Hadley who has the trouble. And does she have her own Haven snow globe? Of course, he gave it to her last year for Christmas. So, but then Gordon disappears and she yeah, sees like, Let's go get her. Poof, gone. Poof, gone. And then Audrey looks at the photo. She sees Hadley outside the theater with her arms outstretched, obviously where her parents used to be in the original photo. And she figures, I got to go to the theater now and find Hadley. Right. And she talks to Hadley and Hadley's, you know, not having it because her dad was going to leave uh, and everybody leaves her in life. You know, she's a teenager and she's upset. And Audrey's like, hey, I've been there. I know uh, it's not fun. I was an orphan. Gets through to her, tells her to let, you know, let go of this because it's, you know, it's not what you actually want. It's what you think like you deserve or something to, to be alone. So poof, everybody comes back eventually. And we have Audrey looking at the snow globe uh, as a face in the sky as Duke reappears, Nathan reappears. Uh, everybody comes back in the theater. Hadley's mom reappears and they hug and embrace. And it's, uh, you know, basically a happy ending. Right. But so we're not done yet. So at the end, Audrey throws a Christmas in July party for everybody in her uh, up do upstairs room of the Grey Gull. Audrey's at it. Which Duke is not super pleased about but she invites everybody over like all the cops stan uh gives duke and nathan their shared christmas gift which was the what it what was it called chrome lightning racer chrome but lightning. they have to share it because she can only find one and uh no one else can remember what the heck happened that day right. so and uh, she won't tell she refuses to tell and uh the teagues figure out she tells the teagues they can't sell the paper and they start coming up with ideas to explain why no one can remember what happened during the day with a gas leak like they always use right and they end up just singing chris there is one good part um hadley's there playing piano she tries to start playing silent night and like audrey shuts her down not 
different song. It's pretty cool. And then basically everyone just, you know, cheer is in cheer together singing Christmas carols. And that is Christmas in July. Happy ending. Everybody laughed at the end. That is Silent Night, our Haven Christmas uh, special for season two, technically episode 13, if we want to say that, post-finale episode. All right, so would you? how do you rate our first Haven Christmas special? And uh, is it our only Christmas special? Did they ever do this again? I don't remember another Christmas special, so... Yeah, but... I, don't, I don't think there's another Christmas special. Maybe another Christmas episode that I don't remember, but I think this might be the only one of its kind. Right, and you know, Christmas episodes are often trick, tricky and frequently fail, but... Uh... And I went into this one with a lot of skepticism. I was like, oh, man, this is just probably some trash that they freaking heaped on the end, you know. The, <laughs> and uh, But I think it's actually, in reality, this one is done very well and adds value to the season. There really isn't much I didn't like about the episode. I'll talk about a few things later, but like I said, I like most things about it. Mm-hmm. I like how we explore Audrey not liking Christmas and how her feelings change in the end because she now has a family. Uh, I really love Duke and Nathan. Duke. I really love Duke and Nathan wanting the same sled. And I enjoyed the Teaks quite a bit as well. You know, it hit on a lot of Christmas things and topics while staying true to the show and its characters. And the ending scene even almost reminded me a bit of It's a Wonderful Life. You know, yeah. I liked it a lot. I you're gonna be surprised by this, but I gave it a nine on the patent pending French. Oh wow, a nine, a nine. You're constantly really shocking me with your scores. Uh, I, I'll give it a, uh, I'll give it a, uh, uh, somewhere between a seven and an eight. Uh, I'll probably give it an eight. I'll probably give it an eight. Give it an eight. Uh, it's a good couple, episode. It's, it's a good episode. It's a good episode. It's a good Christmas episode. Um, it has very good dramatic uh, layers and like, it has very good dramatic layers, good dramatic like moments. It has it involves, mm, you know, I th- multiple steps of involvement in drama, like the Teagues, you know, that it ties. It's not just a separate thing that their newspaper might shut down. It's tied directly into the plot. Uh, yeah, so I think there's like some things about the episode I'm not nuts about, but for the most part, I like it, and I think it. Uh, it's effective. It, it does well what it what it wants to be, what it tries to be. So, I'll I'll give it an eight. For okay. The spirit of Christmas spirit. I'll uh, award it an eight. Well, that's very genteel of you. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think part of it for me is that I come. In, I went into it with such low expectations and mm. expected it to like just totally suck. And I didn't remember it from the first time. And. Uh, I think that's why I was blown away by it. And it's really, it's really well done. And we'll talk about more later, but you know, I, I really liked the, the work the writer did and you know, the director on this one. And what was the writer's name? What was the writer's Uh, name? Brian Milliken. That's right. Brian Milliken. He's the script uh, consultant or something like that. Yeah. Some, something like that, you know, is his full-time gig on the show. But I mean, he started way back when with with Sean Piller and his dad working like as I think an intern for them. So we'll, and we'll, we'll talk more, more about that, but it was a, it's just a good episode. And like I said, I was pleasantly surprised. Like the first time I saw, uh, first time I saw Euro trip, (laughs) I thought it was going to be, Dumb movie. What a connection. Uh, <laughs> I'm just connecting, you know, the level of surprise, like uh, like, like uh, the new guy with DJ Qualls, Nettie Griffin. I, 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 I expected would... that to be so bad, <laughs> but it blew me away. 
All right. And so this one has a commentary from Sean Pillar and Brian Milliken. Uh, so you can hear some of their thoughts. They did the they did an episode in season two, uh, some commentary. So they have a, a rapport. They definitely have a relationship of <laughs> of well, Sean, I... Sean. Sean likes to talk about whatever he wants to talk about. Milliken tries to say something and Sean Pillar talks over him and tries to finish his thought and take credit pretty much for everything, which he admits to at least. Yeah, no, and, well, and that's one of the things about uh, what I enjoyed about commentary. You, you can see how proud uh, Sean is with, with, with Brian's work and how he's developed as a, as a writer over time. And uh, I agree with it. I, I thought it was a well-written episode. Like I said, they're tricky to pull those off. And, uh, you know, there's, and you can see, definitely see the affection. There's an affection between the two of them. They're not just, you know, working on a project together. They're friends. I mean, it's clear. Right. So, yeah, I think probably the best... One of my favorite parts of the episode was the tying into the Teagues uh, newspaper situation, right? So at the beginning, they have a discussion about selling it. Dave is like, no. Vince is like, yes, let's sell it. Uh, and then we see this kind of develop as we see how necessary, right? The research to figure out who's behind this was needed because of what they did to find. Okay, did they really need their specific address book? Like they didn't have, they yeah. couldn't find Gordon's address uh, like at the police station or something. But they still came in when they needed them, right? So, hey. yeah, I mean, and, and it gave us some really cool tidbits, like uh, like Vince says, "Hey, uh, we're up twelve percent this year, and we're only down financially ten thousand dollars." <laughs> so, meaning they finished the year minus ten yeah. k in the red, and that's how strongly Dave feels about their mission to, you know, basically, you know, manage the troubles, uh, you know, in the press. So I thought that was really neat. And uh, it's one of the things I had observed was, is this something we're going to revisit in the future? I know Audrey kind of convinces them at the end, hey, you shouldn't sell the paper. But I thought it was kind of a really neat thing. It could be a fun storyline in season three. But yeah. I, I don't think they do, but I, or, I would yeah. like to see it. Or further. Uh, and I think it's a really good choice to have Dave be the one that disappears, right? Because Vince is the one that wants to sell the newspaper, right? which would effectively end their business. And at the end, when it's Vince is the one left, right? He's the one with the, he's the one with a gaping hole, right? He's the one that's missing something, right? It's not the Herald, obviously, because he's still running the Herald, but it's the idea that like, this is, you know, he sees a, like you were saying with It's a Wonderful Life, he's kind of feels a reality where he's missing a uh, part of him, which is like right. Dave, you know, running the newspaper for all the people because it's only like 20 at that point. Yeah, yeah, it gets down to 19 at the, the last spot. Well, he looks over at the empty chair where Dave would normally yeah. be sitting and he looks there longingly and he's like, do you, you ever get that where you feel like you can't remember something important? Yeah. Uh, so it, might, it, he might even say very important. And uh, so, so it's a nice moment to kind of highlight their, you know, that even though they argue and shit that they love each other and also kind of further that idea of like if you sold the newspaper or you would get be getting rid of something you love and this is you know you'd be emptier for it i thought was a nice little touch yeah. i thought milliken did a good job with all those elements yeah i you know i i observed that i thought it was well written and you know very well mm -hmm. acted by by both actors it's just uh, an excellent scene yeah and same thing with audrey right audrey um you know, as much as she hates Christmas because she doesn't feel she has a family. And then as we start stripping away everybody from her, right, uh, it's kind of this like it's, you know, you don't realize what you have till it's gone type thing where Audrey's like, oh, shit, I had a family. And so that family I made along the way, right, it's the friends we made along the way uh, and the family she had all along. Uh, and, you know, 
also i think uh funny just dark little touch of like at the end though she was alone right her 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 ability to not be touched by troubles truly does separate her from everybody else uh which even though she has a family there is also an element of her that'll always be caught will be separate from them Um, different yeah yeah she she's definitely different and you know and then she has to sometimes you know that truly she's has to do this alone sometimes some bright hopeful moments and some dark stuff because Milliken says in the commentary that he's not all he doesn't really like warm fuzzy feeling stuff so my guess is he prefers the harder darker writing but he did a good job you know yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like the way how they had, like you said, had the Teagues come in to, uh, to you know, help kind of find the smoking gun, you know, and y- using that clever population uh, move to uh, highlight, you know, and prove the trouble. Right. It's a time lock, right? So in screenwriting, you have something called a time lock, which let's just take, for example, I know we always, I feel like we always revolve around the same shit, but like the original Saw movie, right? They are trapped in this room, which could go on for days or something, but they get a tape that says you have till 6 p.m. So they got like whatever it was, 12 hours or some shit to figure out this like puzzle, right? A time lock says, or Armageddon, right? has a time lock, right? It's like, you got to do this mission in X amount of time or earth blows up, right? They have a time lock of you got to solve this trouble or everyone in town is gone. So like there's a countdown happening. I like it. You know, it gives, you know, it, it, it gives it, you know, a little more uh, seriousness and yeah. uh, danger. So pretty yeah. cool. Time lock is a nice little trick when you want to add some, you know, you want to, cause if a story can be resolved in any, it's like, Hey, we got this problem, but we have like 12 years to solve it. Right. That has less drama than we have 12 hours to solve it. Right. So you add a time lock to say, Hey, uh, the serial killer is going to get away in five hours. The bomb's going to go off in 30 minutes, whatever, to for the audience to go like, oh, shit, that's not much time at all, you know? <laughs> I had a question for you. And, uh, I, I, I already know the answer, but uh, <laughs> did you recognize the song the paddleboarder was listening to? Oh, yeah. I caught it while she was paddleboarding. I could hear the faint sound of a song and i was like man what is this it's like this sounds kind of sounds kind of funky and then at the very tail end of the song you could hear a male male's vocals and i was like that sounds like eric balfour and i was like that sounds like fredalba oh my god i was like did they play eric balfour's band in this show and i pulled up my phone pulled up spotify pulled up the album started listening and i was like yeah there it is i was like this uh do a uh, bonus question do you know what song was playing I don't think they meant because in the in the commentary, right? That's where they they mentioned like, oh, this is Eric Balfour, you know, it's for Dalva, which used to be on Pillar Records. But do you know the actual song? Uh, it was Uptown, right? Like Uptown Kids or something. It was. I'm pretty sure you're right. Let me pull it up. I have it right here. It's Uptown Music. Is what the yeah, song? Uptown was Music, right? And yeah. uh, I, I did go back and re-listen to it, but I have to be honest, I did not catch it. I just didn't catch it. I mean, I, you know, not that I'm trying to subconsciously block Fredalba from my mind because, you know, you know, uh, as you've known, we, uh, well, that was a Patreon episode, the soundtrack. So no, 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 that's right. It wasn't. So you already know that, you know, I liked a lot of the Fredalba songs. So yeah, you can check out his rankings and, you know, pillar at the time that was on pillars record label, which, uh, (laughs) so 
I guess he had every right to include it. And uh, it's actually pretty cool. I, I'm just disappointed myself that I didn't catch it. It was a small thing. I was, uh, you know, it's a little, it's pretty hard to catch, but luckily maybe I, my ears are just, uh, trained to be always listening for eric balfour's voice <laughs> well maybe you know now that you live in los angeles you're uh yeah 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 you're just outbound. more attuned <laughs> more attuned to the the socal sound and the it's, funk the deep funk it makes exactly you want to makes you want to slide your breath i mean it's uptown music for downtown kids so maybe i am a downtown kid at this point we had a, we had a couple king references here one, the big obvious one, even though it plays into the snow globe thing, there is a gigantic invisible dome that comes down over the town. It's yeah. Disastrous results. Yeah, hence how the lady got cut in half. The dome came down on her and right. cut her in half. And, you know, I found that that was actually one of my questions for you. Did, you know, did you catch the massive King reference that they did not even mention at all in the commentary? Not mentioned once in the commentary, and it's the biggest King reference possible is it they close them under a dome, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, they close them under a dome because the cutting in half scene, I don't remember the TV show much because I only watched a couple episodes before I was like, I hate this. Uh, but in the book, that's kind of how the book opens, right? Is I think it starts with like Barbie walking and then we cut to all the random people that the dome, you know, like it hit, I think it cuts a beaver in half. If I remember correctly, there's a guy on his like tractor, uh, his like John Deere tractor or something, whatever driving through. And I think he was listening to you had a bad day or whatever. Uh, I'm pretty sure is what he was listening oh, to. Uh, yeah. I can't believe I remember that, but I'm pretty sure that's what he's listening to. Well, he did have a bad day. <laughs> yeah. And then he gets cut up by the dome um, or, you know, and then one, it comes down as a car is going like 70 miles per hour and crashes into it. So I was very, very, very reminiscent of the opening to the book under the dome. I was just surprised they didn't mention it at all in the commentary. It's Maybe just, because know. like they knew the TV show was like coming or something and they're like, ah, we don't want to cause any kind of problems with the people who are running under the dome or something like that. Like maybe they could well, run into legal troubles or under the dome be like, what the fuck, you know? Or you maybe making- <laughs> or maybe they just thought it was so obvious it didn't even need to be mentioned. I don't think so. I I I I'm gonna stick with that they CBS, they didn't want to fuck with CBS. That's what I'm gonna guess. And, you know, until uh, Mr. Pillar hears our fine work, I'm sure he's been listening and finally decides he has to do a project with us. No, so, he's finally yeah. like, he's like, all right, it's time to sue him. Uh, yeah. Sick of the slander. Uh, they're mocking my commentary from the trial of Audrey Parker this whole fucking time. Like I gave him a chance to let it go, but they won't. Uh, <laughs> uh, just for reference, I have said I've I've grown to like Sean Pillar quite a bit, and I like his passion for directing, and uh, it comes through in the commentary how much he loves directing. And uh, so, let it be known on the record, uh, I uh, am a fan. I am a fan. <laughs> uh, what, what was uh, uh, you know his ex uh, his ex wife's uh, singing was great too. Uh, yeah, the two times they used they used the same song in the show. <laughs> it, 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 is it melting? Melting? Melting. Yeah. I was just uh Lindsay Lindsay something Lindsay Price. Price? Yeah, Price? Lindsay, Lindsay Price, Price melting. Yeah, you know, you know, I've made that a ringtone. So uh, <laughs> you know. Uh Sean, uh I'm available for projects. So another King reference we had was at the movie theater, right? Right, yeah, the Bark Tower. Yeah. Yeah. So originally uh the poster was supposed to be Cujo comes home. 
but they couldn't get the rights to Cujo, so they turned it into the Bark Tower. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved it if it said the Dark Tower, but that, you know, probably a rights issue there. I, don't know, I think it's all right. I think it's funny if it's like a dog version of some dog version of some king stuff, you know? Yeah, it, it, it was cute. And it, I mean, the first time I saw it, I actually, my eye auto-corrected it. <laughs> to Dark I thought, Tower? I thought it said the Dark Tower the first time I saw it. But you know where I view my viewing setup for when I watch the show. I am a decent distance away from the TV. Mm. And uh, I just didn't, I, I didn't catch it. Uh, the first, well, like I said, I caught it, but I thought it was the Dark Tower. And, <laughs> but that wasn't the only interesting thing at the theater, though, too. Mm-hmm. And a poster for, uh, was it, what was it, what, what was it called? I, I know. So the a- poster, the, the poster was for, uh, it was, it's bigger on the inside. That's right. It's bigger on the inside, which is a Doctor Who reference. To uh, the TARDIS. We've yeah, got a couple ties to Doctor Who, right? We had Rachel Talele, who'd go on to direct a ton of Doctor Who episodes during the Capaldi years. Maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe the rest of it isn't tied. But, <laughs> but well, Doctor Who does a ton of Christmas specials. They always do a Christmas special every year, pretty much. Yeah, I know. I think they've done at least 12. Mm. At least 12? Wow. Not, not 12. I, I can't I, I remember th- how many they've done. but I thought I've read that. Uh, there, you know, and But... So Doctor Who, Brian Milliken's a big fan, and uh, Gabriella something? Yeah, Gabriella Stanton. And that's not the first time it's been mentioned in a commentary that she's a fan of it. So great for her. Uh, You you might hear more about Doctor Who Christmas specials later in this episode. (laughs) You know, uh, my English teacher said that's foreshadowing. I think that's a spoiler. Um, (laughs) Shameless plug for you to continue listening. Right. So there's that. Um, Some other interesting stuff about the episode was that this was timeline wise where it was originally supposed to take place was between episodes seven and eight uh, of season two. So that's around when Chris Brody had just left for Europe. Thank God. uh, Yes. To go get his uh, British Vegemite. (laughs) (laughs) And secure funding for his LG project. Yeah. So that's kind of why Audrey is a little down in the dumps. And I guess some scenes at Joe's bakery at the beginning were supposed to flesh out where it was timeline wise, but it sounded like pillar was pushing for it. Milliken didn't really want it. They put it in and then pillar went, yeah, you're right. That sucks. Let's pull it out. So they kind of pulled that out to make this more uh, ambiguous as to its time period, which I think was the better choice. I think it's better if it stands on its own because we're already beyond the 12th episode of season two, which ended in that like, you know, uh, ambiguous gunshots and Audrey disappearing. So already are kind of beyond the timeline of like, this doesn't fit in exactly in its placement. So let's just kind of leave it vague is my, 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 where I like it. Well, and it's a, it's a Christmas special. So, I mean, in, you know, my mind, I mean, you can have a standalone and that's just fine. I mean, because they don't advance any story, any major storylines, really anything like that. I right. mean, so, but you know, it's really just for the ride. It's really, that's all, you know, it's about, and then I enjoyed it. Well, uh, here's, here's a question though. Does this take place in an alternate universe? And I'll give you my one piece of evidence why it maybe does. Would you say this, do you think this could be an alternate universe? And what do you think I'm going to, why do you think I would say this could be in an alternate universe? So first off, I think it could be, and you know, <laughs> me, you know, me in parallel universe and my uh, interest in the uh, sliders. Yes. Uh, not just the TGIF sliders guys, the, no, no, the show no. too. 
That's much bigger. <laughs> you get some TGIF sliders, come home, watch some Jerry O'Connell. Our White Castle burgers just really sliders. That's true. Yeah, pretty right. much. So it's not, you know, it's not just me. But uh, <laughs> once again, I do love parallel universes. So, you know, I've been a fan of string theory and M theory with, you know, where universes are membrane stacked upon each other. And if you would think that if there are stacked upon each other, there's got to be a way somehow to pierce that and get into a different. So, yes, I believe it could be. Now on to what uh, clue you picked upon, uh, maybe the Bark the Bark Tower. Maybe it's, you know, that's why it's a different universe. You know, in our universe, it would be the Dark Tower, but in this I, I, universe, okay. it could be the Bark Tower. So, well, I don't, I, I doubt any Stephen King books exist in either Haven universe. But the reason why I thought maybe alternate universe is because of the police graduation photo. Why would Audrey and Nathan be in a photo graduating the police together or whatever. That's a good point. Cause she was an FBI agent. She went to Langley. That's <laughs> yeah. how she remembered those skills or right. her memories are for someone who went to Langley. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, yeah. I guess, yeah, she didn't actually do that, but you know, her memories are of that. So why would but she it, be there for like a police graduation? But I don't think it was a graduation. I thought it was just the annual picture. Oh, I swore Nathan. Uh, I swore Duke said you're like, uh, you're like graduating, like whatever, like police class or whatever. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. None of it holds water, really. I'll, I'll have to go back and I, I will. Oh, okay. I will. Let's say it is annual. Let's say it is annual. Uh, in the commentary, they say Audrey has been there for less than a year. So she could have come uh, that she's been there only for a couple of months, apparently, since the beginning of episode one. So that photograph would have to be within that time frame and she's in like a uniform right mm -hmm. like i guess she has some like dress blues but i we've never seen that which i think would be it's kind of just weird right that she has but this, like police dress I mean, uniform well and we've seen nathan in his dress uniform right when they were doing uh, the service for the chief well you know when the right. chief was announced as uh missing yeah but she didn't wear hers no, she didn't. No, she I've mean, never seen any example. I know I didn't, would have assumed she never got them like at all. If she like came as like a FBI agent turned detective, I felt like the relationship, you know, was almost, you know, between her and the police force is a bit more like, uh, yeah, you're one of us, but also kind of not real. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't have a police uniform. You're not like part of all that stuff. So I don't know. To me, it was a little weird. Maybe in this universe, Audrey, <laughs> went to a police academy or has been there longer or something i don't know so that's what i mean if it if it's graduation oh hell yeah it's you know it's yeah uh, and it's either an alternate uh you know universe or uh you know a writing slip-up <laughs> uh yeah well let's assume no writing slip-ups alternate yeah, no no because like i said i'm still the, Christ uh, the christmas verse you know well and that's what i mean it's a christmas episode and uh you know little magic is okay Little magic and science mixed together. Yeah. So good, good cocktail right there. Eggnog, if you will. Do you like it being in July or do you think, do you think this, do you think they ever were thinking of doing a winter Christmas episode? Cause we've never, we're not going to get any winter episodes. Um, we had some nice little cameos this episode at the cafe, right? Yeah, that was, damn it, you, you and I must have the same question list. I was going to ask the same you. Same exact notes. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, you know, chip off the old chromosome. But, but yeah, I was going to ask you the same thing. If you noticed who the waiter was in the the second bakery scene at uh, at this time, it was just uh, uh, Haven Bakery, but it used to be Haven Joe's. So, yeah, yeah. I did not catch it the, the first time. I did. No, no, neither no. did I. I, I felt, commentary. I, I felt a little disappointed that I, uh, that I didn't. I should have realized it was Sam Ernst. And uh, so the waiter is Sam Ernst. Uh, yeah. That Audrey kind of like is like, "Where's Joe?" And he's like, "Oh, uh, Milliken's writing at his finest for uh, no." Yeah, but uh, <laughs> so if you, and you guys at this stage of the game, you know, Sam Ernst is you know, along with Jim Dunn are the you know the basically the creators of the show and then. Big time our, uh, our pinatas, basically, we just, you know, constantly taking swings at him. <laughs> hey, 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 I thought he was fine in his cameo. cameo no, it was, a, it was a fine cameo. But they joked that they didn't want him to say any lines and uh, that <laughs> they were fucking with him on set and stuff. Uh, he was yeah. trying to get out of there quickly. It didn't seem like he was nuts about it. Uh, but that wasn't the only cameo at the cafe. What was the other one? Oh, I am forgetting it. It's not. Uh... Uh-oh, it's not in his legendary notes. I guess we didn't take the same notes after all. No, no. <laughs> uh, the second cameo is Eric Balfour's mom is at the cafe. Oh, shit. Yeah. On yeah. the far left of the screen, on the far left of the frame, uh, she's got some reindeer antlers on. That is Eric's mother. I'm assuming she came to visit or something, hang out. And then they're like, hey, why don't you get in on this? Sean Pillar's probably a family friend, you know? Well, we know they're friends. So, you, well, I'm sure he's we met. Can... Uh, uh, the, Mama the Balfour, Balfour, the Balfour matriarch. Yeah, so I, I, I didn't obviously I didn't catch it when I watched yeah. it. I mean, I, <laughs> I you know, but I did, and I, but I do remember hearing that in the commentary. And yeah, I, just, I caught uh, Fredaba, but I wasn't like, "There's Eric Balfour's mother." Yep, I knew it. I knew it. Well, just like in uh, uh, the episode where uh, Max Hansen comes to. Uh, haven you know like when pillar and like uh, oh one yeah of the, you know like the makeup artist and his nephew or whatever are <laughs> sitting in a booth eating yeah yeah i wasn't gonna, gonna catch, catch that, that. <laughs> no, so we know the sound of pillar's voice at this point uh i don't think i could pick mm-hmm. him out in a crowd though no but you know so and then to come back to it you know kind of the pill, pillar i did enjoy the 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 commentary and like i said i'd mentioned it earlier how he loves directing and he tells you why he made some of the decisions and that, but you can see how much pride he takes in the show, the writers, he praises his writers, his crew, his actors. So, I mean, I mean, of course you're not going to get on there and go, well, you know, that this person was shit, this person's a <laughs> moron, but you know, but still, I mean, you can just tell, I thought it was genuine how much pride and care he has for the show and, and, and his team. So, that's, yeah. You know, call me, you know, an old fashioned uh, CBS watcher. But, uh, <laughs> I like to hear that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, did you like the mistletoe scene at the end between Duke and Nathan? Is this is this is this foreshadowing as your as your elementary school teacher would say? I think it was probably uh, junior high. You know, junior in my high. day, we went to junior high, seventh and eighth, not this uh, sixth, seventh, eighth shit. Yeah. <laughs> Just one year difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. Or fuck off. <laughs> exactly. K through six for life. Uh. <laughs> I have friends who didn't get past uh, six, but uh, <laughs> no, I I think eight is the, the earliest one I lost. <laughs> but uh, did you like the mistletoe though? The, the yeah, hey, funny. Look, you know, 
we we've already talked about some of the fan fiction ideas you know <laughs> like at the end of the episode where uh where uh it's the one where uh, Duke almost died, and then Duke's back. And, you know, old man, right? With Fu Manchu. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then Nathan drives up, and he's got this lorn, this look on his face. That, you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Know, we talked just, about it then. Yeah, you know, it's very Twilightish, and uh, you know, any of those <laughs> uh, tween uh, romance movies, and uh, yeah, I remember we we're talking about is, is his team Nathan versus Team Duke, and blah blah, but. Yeah. Uh, that feeds that that's concept of them getting kind of together and you know i, I think yeah, it was pretty cool pretty funny i think i'm on team chris now you know <laughs> oh yeah team yeah yeah hey I'm, I'm in i'm in england let me send you a boomerang or you know <laughs> a kangaroo egg or, you this know, is okay. a i'm in england here's a piece of the great wall of china or something yeah. you know uh yeah. Yeah, I, Team Chris is basically the Cleveland Browns of uh, teams. Okay, well, I guess last year they made Jets. the playoffs and the won New a York game. Jets, right? The New York Jets. My apologies. Yeah. You bet on the Jets. <laughs> yeah, to keep it within Haven, he's the New York Jets. Uh, and I guess Nathan, Nathan and Duke probably arguing which one of them they consider to be the Patriots. They probably both assume they're the Patriots. Well, I mean. The, the, the highest total of championships in NFL history is 13 and is held by, yeah, the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. So those aren't all Super Bowls. No, no, there's only four Super Bowls, but they're still uh, world only championships. Four Super Bowls. Oh, yeah. man. Brady's got almost double that. <laughs> yeah. Seven. Yeah. Freaking seven. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that, whole, that whole Christmas party scene was pretty fun. Um, like my one of my favorite parts, I think that's pretty subtle, because uh, they didn't mention on the commentary really either, was the when Audrey gives them their present and they open it together, uh, and it's the what's it called the Chrome Lightning? Yeah, Chrome Lightning Racer. Yeah, that right. Because in a scene earlier at the accident site where we, they discovered the dome, it comes up that uh, she I think she asked them what they wanted but never got for Christmas, and they both wanted the Chrome Lightning Racer. It was pretty cool. It kind of showed that furthering that relationship they're not so different after all but so after they unwrap it it goes to audrey to go talk to uh uh hadley and in the background you can see duke and nathan you know they're holding it and as they're kind of looking at each other and in the background you can see them pulling on it being like give it you know like let go Mm -hmm. and you can see them both in a tug of war over it but it's pretty small you barely see you just see eric kind of grab like let go like pulling on it uh and i thought that was a very funny subtle background moment that those are always great when it's not super highlighted, right? Because it might have been a little I, – I, I don't think it would have been as funny if it had its own shot dedicated to showing them arguing over it. But in the background, if you just notice it, that is what's funny is that even then they are kind of like brothers in the sense that, you know, they are – they, you know, oh, we have this moment, but give me the fucking shield, you know, or give me the <laughs> sled and pulling on <laughs> it. Uh, hey, you're going all Captain America. On it. It's, uh, you, know, you know, I will have once, I won't say, you know, but uh, the statute of limitations where would be oh over God. and the person's DC. So, uh, Joey's uncle and his dad were, uh, my, were able to take a saucer sled and a coffee can and a couple other parts and build antennas to get HBO. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> it was pretty freaking cool. I was like, I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. Cause yeah, we can't afford HBO. <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, that, that was neat. Like, I, I really love that scene. Like I said, you know, uh, the, 
it really remind me of it's a wonderful life quite quite a bit and you know that's you know just come right out there that's my favorite christmas movie of all time you it's know. a wonderful life is your favorite christmas movie mm-hmm. yeah i know everyone no, uh, no, no. We, so, now, a, lot, a lot of my friends are juvenile and they're like oh bad santa and i'm like Ugh. i mean yeah whatever but like uh i don't think it's bad to be you know sentimental about that so um we once went to, I forgot what it's called, a thing in Denver when we both lived there was uh, at the C Film Center. We went and saw Casablanca, right? Uh, yeah, where it, was it was the Films in Time series. Yeah, it was called Movies in Context or something like that. Whatever. It was It was released the way they originally were in theater. So it had the, at the beginning, it had like a serial and it had... Like a, like a little serialized adventure episode. It had like sports news, political news, all the shit they used to include. And then the preview for the next movies tacked onto the end. But the, the reason I even found that when we went and saw Casablanca was because I had seen It's a Wonderful Life like that a month earlier. Uh, and that was the first time I think I'd really watched It's a Wonderful Life truly. And I loved it. I was like, holy shit. Like if I watch this, and I, and I think it's one of those things too, if you just, if I just watched it at home, you know, like, uh, cause uh, you know, it's, it's pretty old for my generation at this point. I don't think many people my age or younger want to watch black and whites anymore. Uh, or probably maybe even your generation anymore. Well, you know, wouldn't really go back and watch a ton of black and yeah, whites and, either. Uh, yeah. Most, most of my friends would not be, you know, <laughs> they don't, uh, they might not appreciate the greatness of Frank Capra, but yeah. I do. And, uh, uh, you know, so I, it, I grew yeah. up. My grandpa, yeah, obviously, my late grandpa would. Uh, I'd watch a lot of old stuff with him. I mean, we were talking even like Buster Keaton stuff, like yeah. uh, you know, like uh, Matinee at the Bijou was like a, uh, a show on PBS where they highlighted some of the old serials and some of the old movies, and that that was great because, like you said, when we went and saw Casablanca, they were showing the uh, the war movie films, you know, kind of. Uh, Mm-hmm. Kind of war propaganda films, yeah. I mean, <laughs> say trying to pump everyone up. How the U.S. is always victorious, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean Casablanca, where they're like, "Here he is. He got away from a concentration camp." And I was like, "Man, he got away from a concentration camp. He ain't looking like a model like this." And being like, "Oh, it's bad," you know, like you yeah. guys don't know, it's pretty bad. It would be like, "No, you guys don't understand. It's a fucking nightmare, like uh, of yeah. unparalleled." Uh, proportion <laughs> yeah your hair wouldn't be all coiffed and uh you know just they have like a little scratch on his face where i was like yeah i don't think they uh really people knew what was going on too closely over here yes yeah one of the greatest atrocities of you know there and there's been many unfortunately in our his, human history but yep. uh the list goes well, on yeah sadly doesn't stop it seems, but, but that's the first time i saw it's a wonderful life like uh i mean i'm sure i'd seen parts of it on tv and shit but that was the first time i saw it and yeah i really Really, and I, and I don't, I don't think I'd really watch Jimmy Stewart. Right, is that his name Jimmy Stewart? Yeah, it's Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy Stewart. I didn't really watch like much Jimmy Stewart that I can think of. And when it first started, I was like, man, this guy's that fucking voice is annoying as shit. Uh, but and- by the end, I found him to be pretty endearing, uh, and I understood. I was like, okay, this guy's pretty cool. I like this. Uh, yeah, you good. want me to pull down the moon? I'll throw a rope and lasso the moon and pull it right down to you. So it's a pretty good movie. Pretty good. I'd say it's a wonderful life. Pretty good. What so, I, so, I <laughs> what you, 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 don't, you don't think I have a, any potential for a, like a podcast just just my great imitations? Yeah, you know, like a, maybe a uh, Patreon episode where uh, you, you could maybe get by to. on your Jimmy Stewart imp- impression. I'm sure a lot of people have one. I don't, I don't know. You're walking. 
No, the walking's not good. No, I'd, I'd have to drink, you know, to get to that perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you would have to drink for you to think the walking impression's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm admitting it. Unless yeah. you have a method to uh, to get the alcohol to all the listeners, <laughs> so they can get drunk before they listen. Uh, I don't know all if right. it's gonna be great. <laughs> all right, you know, uh, in ten minutes we'll be doing my impersonation, so I need you to do at least two. <laughs> Two to three shots in, yeah. in that time. That's right. Get the Jaeger or Fireball, whatever. Uh, what, yeah, I I tried a new shot last week. The Starfucker. I had never had one okay. before. <laughs> let's keep so, this. Uh, we're on a Christmas themed episode. Come on. Yeah. Uh, let's keep oh, this family uh, uh, family friendly. <laughs> the Star uh, Fornicator. There we go. There we go. This Christmas, you know, the Christmas star fornicator. Um, <laughs> oh, gee. Uh, so, the, yeah, a bad Santa. Yeah. Uh, the one that kind of I don't like is Die Hard. Die Hard as your answer for your favorite Christmas movie, I think, is stupid as fuck. Uh, so, sorry, I'm probably offending a bunch of our listeners who are like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's not a Christmas movie. It happens during Christmas. That doesn't mean it's a Christmas movie. Right. Uh, it doesn't have any kind of themes of Christmas. It's not like, you know, at the end, John McClane learned the importance of fam- No, John McClane learned how to kill a bunch of terrorists, you know, and the adrenaline made him and his wife go like, you know what, maybe. Yeah. Well, about, I mean, it's not about family. It's about killing <laughs> Hans Gruber. <laughs> Hans Gruber. Yeah. The, the late Alan Rickman, a tremendous actor. He's uh, Snape as well in the Harry Potter franchise. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, there's, I, I hear that argument all the time, and it seems like uh, like eighty twenty think uh, Die Hard's a, a a Christmas movie. Yeah, it's it's just like this giant, like. All right, sorry everyone. I get a little. Uh, you know, if you're a fan, if you think Die Hard's the best Christmas movie, you're gonna be like this asshole. It's just like some fucking internet circle jerk meme at this point of like, dude, it's a Christmas movie. It's not a Christmas movie. It's like saying Star Wars is a sci-fi. It takes place in space. But it's not science fiction. Science fiction is commentary on society and how science can like do things. So like Frankenstein is more of a science fiction than Star Wars. Star Wars doesn't really have any commentary on society. Uh, maybe. No, I wouldn't even say the prequels. I would say, honestly, the only one I would say has any commentary that would make it close to science fiction is The Last Jedi. I think that's the only one that has societal commentary. I think. Um, did you did you say there were prequels? Because <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't recall any prequels. See, I think they've been <laughs> repressed from my memory. See the the pre. So you know the original Star Wars trilogy is like Arthurian legend. The uh, prequel trilogy is actually a Greek tragedy redone in space, and then the then the, the sequel trilogy is all. <laughs> it's all over the place. Uh, uh, okay, <laughs> I will admit to uh, knowing about the prequels and uh, just omit the Greek. It's just a tragedy. It's a tragedy if you have to view them. But, but <laughs> no, then again, it's based again, off a the, Greek tragedy. <laughs> but then again, the sequels, I don't know. I don't know what the hell to tell you. Um, yeah. So, just, um, yeah, I think people take literal, like, so once again, I don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie because it takes place during Christmas, but it's not about the values of Christmas, holiday spirit, or even other religious events. It's not a Hanukkah, you know, like, it doesn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> and he, so I would, no, motherfucker i would love to hear an argument though that, that maybe i would love to hear if someone could somehow tell me every diehard is based off of like a holiday then uh i would i would be Ooh. open to that 
the year. Listeners, hit us up on uh, on on Twitter or uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, email, email us, you know, us. whatever's easiest for you. Uh, yeah, g- give us uh, your impressions of uh, that, that's going be a fun if, project. If you can, if you can tell me that every, if you could convince me, yeah, not even very well. If you could just sloppily put together a concept that each diehard movie is representative of a holiday. We have season two of Haven uh, ready to go to be sent out to a, to a lucky fan. So, well, I don't want to give them ideas, but anytime if you got an officer who's got a U.S. flag on him, boom, right there. Flag day, veterans day. Oh, boom. So oh, we got a big tree scene, some Arbor day, but Arbor anyway, day. It's a, uh, if you see John McClane uh, recycling some of his bullet casings, <laughs> you know, earth day, right. Say. So, uh, I don't think you're recycling as much. He's causing a lot of destruction in those movies. Uh, we, we need to stop doing the work for them. We just yeah. gave them way too many. And uh, I don't think John really cares about the Earth. Uh, he's standing yeah. on a jet at one point. He litters quite a bit. Uh, so, think- and my, my earlier uh, proclamation was instead of Yippee Kaye, motherfucker, it would be you know if it was Hanukkah, Shalom, but, you know. <laughs> a different kind of uh, star. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but you know what, what? And I'll hear what you know. But now, regarding to Die Hard <laughs> as a Christmas movie, I think the argument I hear that you know best, you know, playing the uh, the Angel's Advocate <laughs> to yours is that well, it's you know Christmas episode. Even though I Perfect. dropped that's M- a, that's a good Emmett, <laughs> I dropped MFers left and right here. At the end. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, is that it? Maybe it's, it's not a movie about Christmas, but the viewership and the fandom has made it a Christmas tradition that That's this, fair. you know, so it, I mean, cause they do air it all always on Christmas and, you know, so it's kind of made its way into being a, a tradition, even though I, I like you, I'm like, it's not a movie about Christmas. So, Christmas yeah. Is, so the, the, the quote unquote circle jerk forced it into being, uh, uh, <laughs> well, uh yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was just saying the fandom, you know, and the, the, the populace. But yeah, if you if you want to double my circle jerk, uh, I mean, yeah, wow. Maybe uh, I'm hoping there's a troubled uh, season three. <laughs> <laughs> Where <laughs> might not happen now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but I, yeah. I think those were valid points. But we. But I, I, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, that it's now become a Christmas movie because people kind of made it a Christmas movie. Um, so maybe I would say it's a Christmas event to watch, but it's not still not in a vacuum, not a Christmas movie, but culturally, well, I guess a Christmas movie now. So I guess there's a compromise. You've, you got me. Well, you know, that's, I'm just trying to bring us all together. <laughs> yeah. uh, See, know. this episode is a Christmas themed podcast uh, in summer. Right. Exactly. You know, the timing is, is perfect. And uh, well, not quite where it's not July, but it's close. All right, enough about Die Hard and It's a Wonderful Life and everything. We're pretty off track. Uh, we love the mistletoe scene, though. Very funny. Um, yeah. One thing I thought was pretty cool was the – I don't know what they were doing, but you know they mentioned that some of them were just shot out of a crane. But the kind of effect when they're doing the aerials, when Audrey's looking over them, not the CGI of her face in the sky. I don't, that, <laughs> That looks oh. pretty cheesy. <laughs> oh man, that, that, you know that reminds me of the end of uh, Happy Gilmore when uh, <laughs> when Chubbs and Abraham Lincoln and the alligator are all waving to him. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's pretty cheesy. Her like in the sky, um, but the, the kind of like angles when it's looking at the people down below looks just kind of strange, right? 
and it reminds me of a it's called a tilt shift effect uh it's in the opening to you say shift yeah tilt shift effect what's colbert's show what's that was that tonight is that late show late show is that what's called uh i can't keep off the late, late night. night. I can't keep them all fucking straight. Which one's the late, late show? Late night with Ten- Stephen Colbert. Yeah, late show, late the late tonight show, whatever. Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, but Stephen Colbert, his opening, I don't know if it's still this, but he had an opening that used something called the tilt shift effect, if you look that up, uh, where it's this camera, it's a particular like lens with the camera that makes everybody look kind of more distant and close at the same time and makes them almost it almost makes people look like animated versus like uh like live action it's an interesting effect you guys should uh take a look at it and look at his little intro uh it's not it's not the tilt shift effect but it almost looked like that because of the weird perspective and lens they were using uh, on everybody so uh instead of adam almost animated like ethereal i no, it, yeah, it's, it no, doesn't look that like far. that it looks okay. almost it almost looks like people are it almost looks like a combination of like stop motion and like draw i don't know it's just you have to watch it tilt shift stuff looks just super weird uh but j- interesting cool looking yeah so uh you know just uh, another neat thing that i from, from the commentary was uh the the date of the arthur chambers in, incident uh was november 5th 1955 which we learned happens to be the day that doc brown invented time travel <laughs> in back to the future so of course i thought that was pretty cool i, I didn't remember that i you know i love back to the future one uh you know <laughs> so uh yeah, anything after one uh, no but she'd be pretty you. sad that uh you know who was originally playing marty mcfly no no i have no idea no oh you don't know about this uh so it was eric stoltz somebody you're a fan of an actor you're a fan of i am a fan of eric stoltz i don't think he would have been but then not only did they not only was he casted they shot a huge part of the movie with eric and then they reshot it with michael j fox later because it didn't work so you can actually find some shot some of it online the eric stoltz uh uh, back to the future scenes where he's dressed yeah, a- up in the same outfit and it's just kind of weird you're like what the hell? It, it feels like i don't know it feels like it feels like something from like snl or something because you're like what so like this just like is like weird yeah and uh, i like eric stoltz but that's not a role that i hate for him <laughs> I, i'm gonna have to actually look some of those up because uh that that's wow i never knew that fascinating and um and a horrible casting decision yeah. <laughs> of a, gr- a great actor just not for that role hmm fascinating but yeah i thought that was kind of a kind of a neat thing and besides you know being you know gifted with fredalba we also got sweet talk radio you know Uh, did we yeah yeah they were the ones covering uh i saw mommy kissing santa so which is uh you know another uh disturbing song yeah oh yeah well at least it wasn't santa baby okay oh i'm oh i right in in the song you know it's really you know quote dad dressed up as santa right that he that the kids, you know, the perspective of the singer or whatever yeah. is seeing. I remember I just for a long time didn't realize that. So I'm like, you guys don't think this is fucked up that the kid, you know, came and saw uh, their mom cheating on their dad with Santa Claus. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is a fucking disturbing song. He brings <laughs> gifts for the kids and for mom. That's yeah. right. Yes. Or, and, uh... <laughs> or you well, know, wonder... he, here's, here's Santa. He just ran over grandma with the reindeer and the sled. Then he's coming to bang your mom. I was like, I don't know. Yeah, this guy yeah. sounds like an asshole. <laughs> he's a sociopath. Yeah, yeah, he's 
he's running over old ladies and uh <laughs> and you may not believe in so- something <laughs> you and grandpa do believe yeah that is uh <laughs> yeah that, that was fun stuff but yeah uh, once again i'm a fan of uh, sweet talk radio i really like them so th- that was pretty pretty cool interesting was uh haven joe's bakery was established in 1949 but the owner is still named joe so, yeah, I maybe you know, it's a fan. Every fa- guy's family name, you know. Uh, Joe he's Joe, Joe the fourth. Yeah, yeah. May the, may the fourth be with you. Yeah. Well, he's he's not my favorite Haven Joe. There's only one Haven Joe in my book, and that's Joe Campbell. Joe Campbell, baby. That's Everyone right. loves Joe Campbell. That's and, right. Uh, Hilariously, you know, we try to say he would hang out at a bakery to pick up girls in that episode. And lo and behold, we have a Baker Joe. And uh, I was like, "This this is weird. Oh, this is kind of weird that." I don't know, you know, that we spoke it into existence or something. I'm not saying that, but uh, yeah, maybe uh, there's something to this, this conspiracy. You know, it's only like three degrees of separation with Joe Cam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kevin Bacon's like, how do I get to that level? But uh, yeah, I, I thought, you know, and I think it was com- completely plausible that Audrey would not, not like Christmas based on her background, you know. Right, right, right. So this is actually, I was going to ask you uh, if there was anything you didn't like about the episode. And this is one of the things I didn't like about the episode. It was how hard Nathan goes in on her, like about not liking Christmas uh, and being, you know, like not being kind of sensitive to the situation or thinking about it. It's like, oh, you know, well, you know, you don't like Christmas. Because you don't, yeah, have, a you don't have a family. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Like, why? who says something like that, man? Holy shit. Well, Especially to a girl you're crushing on, you're like, "What? You don't have a family?" <laughs> it's like, oh, sucks for you. Yeah. It's Christmas time for me. At least I had a dad I hated, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, Nathan, I don't know. You should be talking about how little family someone has. Like, considering now, you like, I don't think we are introduced to another family member like ever again. I'm assuming he has aunts, uncles, and cousins, but. Yeah, we don't know the whole the rest of the Hanson side of the family. Oh, I don't think yet. he I don't think he does yeah. either. I was gonna say if his if his dad's side uh, or if War, uh, Garland's side, you know, if they're also like uh, you know cause you know the tremors in the ground. Do you think they go you know since they're technically earthquake people? Do you think they go by Quakers? Oh boy, boy, <laughs> boy! And they have a lot of oats, you know, yeah. delicious breakfast cereals, <laughs> and you know. No, I don't. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, Nathan. Uh, Nathan's family's Quakers. <laughs> yeah. That's for Quakers. You know, that's what uh, Nathan probably <laughs> says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, from, uh, you know. Uh, from Kingpin. Kingpin. Yeah. Which I've recently rewatched. Yeah. Well, we recently rewatched. Yeah. Oh, with you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That was uh, quite enjoyable. Uh, that and. Uh, from the files of police squad naked gun yes yeah we're a little off track this episode yeah. uh, <laughs> but is Plus, there anything in the, is there anything in this episode you didn't like that was kind of my yeah, one gripe so, was nathan's uh nathan's kind of hey like a to, to audrey like yeah and the, the way i kind of looked at and i was gonna ask you uh what you thought about nathan not believing audrey about it right. not being christmas because you know i'm i'm my opinion every other episode nathan buys in right yeah. like on trial of audrey parker i'll always believe you you know and he does 
you know, so I just found it kind of inconsistent that on this one thing, Nathan is just so not, you know, the only, yeah, I, I thought the same thing too, where I was like, uh, like I was like, man, nah, he like, how the hell is Duke gonna buy into this before Nathan? <laughs> but I think the only explanation I can come up with is that he the trouble, yeah, exactly. That his mind was being affected, you know, his reality is being altered. That that's what you know, uh, what what a perception something perception blah 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 hood or whatever you know is put over him, so he's he's not thinking in his right mind. Which is what I was like, saying should have happened in the virus episode in the police station was that if it had been that they weren't thinking in the right mind, it could have uh, justified a lot of the bizarre and poor decisions, a lot of the character and out of character decisions, a lot of the characters made. So I think here you can kind of use that excuse of like, well, the trouble is affecting a lot of them, right? Like would Duke really, you know, do Duke, <laughs> Duke, you know, comes to at the end and is like, why am I in a Santa costume? Uh, whereas like in before when the troubles active it wasn't like anything remotely bizarre i don't know would duke wear a santa costume you think maybe for the gag i guess well and, and that, you know you're like reading my uh you know the questions notes. yeah it's <laughs> uh you know i mean in the episode it's clear duke likes christmas but when duke describes his childhood it doesn't sound like it was very fun and pleasant would christmas be a fun cheery time with old simon crocker well because yeah yeah he says uh you wouldn't want to remember him mine but i love christmas so i do think the trouble is affecting their perception of reality right like a duke still mm-hmm. loving it even though he would have no reason to like christmas uh with his like supermodel dad who yeah. probably was like 14 i guess since they were like the same age <laughs> yeah yeah so, you know simon comes home every year and like breakfast club gives him a carton of cigarettes says, smoke up dookie yeah <laughs> Uh, I hope that's not what he calls them, but uh, <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 the, the quote in the original yeah, yeah, "Smoke yeah. Up Johnny." Johnny so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Dookie would be a horrible nickname. A yeah. Horrible, yeah, nickname. <laughs> you know, oh. you know, the kids had to call him that at some point. Uh, Dookie, yeah. Oh, that's why he started lifting boxes shirtless. You know, so he could beat up the kids. They're like Dookie, why are your pants so high? <laughs> I mean, what, Dookie, where's the flood? No, but it's a seafaring town, so they would understand. So there really is a, you know, if they're asking where's the flood, there is probably a literal answer like, hey, it's over there. Yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah, that was uh, very interesting. Uh, Let me see. Um, I I really like the toy store scene uh, where they have the, we mentioned it in the summary where he drops the Haven snow globe, but he doesn't disappear. He was crouching to pick it up and the pieces mm, yeah but but then he disappears at the end i thought that was kind of, okay I, i'm getting the skeptical look. yeah <laughs> no yeah. just because when he disappears you're like is he gone and then when you see him crouching it's in the most unnatural bizarre positioning possible like he's not really picking up the pieces of the snow globe he's kind of just crouching there and he's ducking his head like he's hiding and then he kind of comes up and it's like what the fuck's that? You know, if he had been kind of further down in a more natural position, picking up the pieces, then I would, it would have made sense to me. Uh, but instead he's kind of just weirdly like in the angle he's standing at's weird. You know, he's facing Audrey, like he's positioned towards Audrey. So it was like, he was walking away from her, turned around, dropped it, crouched, ducked his head. And then like, you know, and then looks up, it, it just oh looked really intentionally. It's more okay, the blocking so- and not the writing, the writing of the moment's good. The, the, how it was shot. I was like, eh. 
Uh, so you're saying it was kind of ham-fisted, uh, well, you know, and uh, a little too uh, forced. Yeah, I'm not a yeah. fan of some of Pillar's blocking in this episode. Like uh, at the scene outside the movie theater at the beginning when they're talking, just the camera angle, looking down the street's fine, but like the way they're positioned towards the camera is so unnatural and looks so weird and it... it uh, I don't know. Instead of like going to singles, staying on like that two shot of them standing there and they're like literally facing, like they're facing the camera instead of facing each other. Uh, and it just looks really like uh sitcom-y to me. I'm like, ugh, ugh. and there's some other things, some other visual moments of pillar. I'm like, yeah, but you know, he's kind of going for the, you know, what, you know, what'll get the job done the fastest sometimes. Well, you gotta do. Hey, we're lucky. Not every, you know, show gets to be able to have a Christmas episode, you know, it's true. Tack, you know, does every show deserve a Christmas episode though? Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> no, you know, okay. so kind of one of the last things I really had is, uh, you know, I, I liked the opening sequence of the episode considering it was aired on December 6th, you know, after the season had ended, you know, having the Teagues, you know, narrate flashbacks of what's happened so far over the two seasons, I thought was, you know, made sense to do. And their little bickering back and forth, trying to tell the story was, I thought that was very entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good, uh, like, uh, structure to it at the beginning, uh, where I was like, Oh man, do we need this? And then he kind of like pauses, like you're putting him to sleep already. It was nice. Yeah. You know, uh, once again, Richard Donagat and, uh, the other dude <laughs> is it donut donut yeah i'm not sure how to say it i think it's donut donut um, okay i don't know though i could be wrong yeah the actors who play vince and dave were great during this and then we, we like them almost all the time you know yeah. outside of uh when they're recommending dresses at a <laughs> boutique <laughs> yeah I think we're done with the episode for now. We talked about, you know, things we like, things we didn't like. We talked about Die Hard. We talked about Star Wars. You know, we got a, got all the mentions. I think the, <laughs> there's only one show we didn't mention that we somehow always comes up, but we're going to try to leave it out. We got Joe Campbell in there. All the Christmas, all the favorites. Okay. So in honor of Haven's first and uh, we're pretty sure only Christmas uh, special, we wanted to talk about our favorite Christmas episodes out there on TV. So we we brought up a couple of them. Um, I think to start, we already talked about the TV show, but we're gonna. Uh, I think we should start with Doctor Who. That's a pretty obvious one, seeing as they have a shit ton of Christmas specials. They tr- pretty much do one every year, it seems. Uh, right. So even though it was never like Christmas time, I think when it came out for us in America, I swear they would come out like in April or some shit, but uh, on BBC America back in the day. Uh, or maybe that's just when I'd watch them. So let's. Oh, uh, what, do you have a favorite Doctor Who, Doctor Who Christmas special? Okay, uh, since Doctor Who is pretty much an annual tradition for them to do a Christmas episode, and you know, I went back and just kind of you know reviewed some of them because obviously, if you don't, you know, obviously we're just big Doctor Who fans, and uh, I love the show. So I started looking through some of them, trying to remind myself. So, myself about which ones i really liked like you know the christmas invasion with christopher eggleston kind of the first one uh he's uh, not in christmas invasion oh that's tenet that's where tenet uh tenet's first christmas episode yeah me. some big fan no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah uh 
I'm just yeah. kidding. It's funny. <laughs> uh, I'm not even, I, I have it right in front of me and I misspoke. <laughs> High quality just... content. Let's, let's see you get this with Joe Rogan. Come on. <laughs> So nonetheless, maybe we added more shrooms, you know, to or more uh, acid to the to the podcast. Well, yeah, you know, I'm sure Joel's worried about us uh, taking some of his listenership. (laughs) (laughs) But so the Christmas Invasion Tenet's first episode is good. It's okay. Then uh, the Runaway Bride the next year with Tenet is better. Voyage of the Dam the following year with Tenet's third. Uh, it's too here, here, don't don't go through the whole list. Just but, tell me uh, your favorite. <laughs> okay, there's yeah. there's like twelve of them. Yeah, so uh, it, it's really tough. Yeah, I have two of them, and, okay. and and they're they're both Matt Smith's. Uh, you know, like his first two. <laughs> okay, and um, you know, so the first one's like a Christmas Carol. Where you know the old crotchety man can save save the people that are about to die, mm-hmm. and uh, the doctor sends visions of you know people from his. It goes into his past that tries to re-engineer what turned him into this cruddy old bastard, and you know. So it really is a complete reimagine, you know, a reimagining of uh, you know uh, a Christmas Carol. So yeah. I thought that's really really cool, and then the next one is the doctor, the window, and the wardrobe. Which is basically, uh, you know, Smith playing Doctor Who as doing the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I think it's really cool because, you know, C.S. Lewis is a very important writer in England and, 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 uh, you know, around the world. And it was one of my favorite book series as a kid in elementary school. Probably was my favorite book series till I I got older. So those those are my two favorite Doctor Who ones. Yeah, until Twilight came out, then that became king of your favorite books. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and then Fifty Shades of Grey was, you know, I'm torn between the two of them. You know. uh, okay, so my favorite Doctor Who Christmas special is uh, actually a Capaldi one called Last Christmas. It's the one where Nick Frost, you know, the guy who's in uh, all the Simon Pegg movies, he plays Santa Claus. And uh, comes and gets stuck on Clara, Clara's roof, and then they got to go on a big adventure together. Uh, and at the end, I, I, Santa Claus, I don't, it doesn't turn out to be like real or anything. It's some giant mind f- fucking thing that they're going through, and they're going through like multiple dreams and stuff, and getting old and shit. And uh, that one's probably my favorite, uh, probably just because it's got one of my like favorite lines, probably from Doctor Who in that Christmas special. And it's kind of the beginning. Uh, we don't talk too much about it because this is even podcast, obviously. But uh, during the Matt Smith years, towards the end, I got pretty disillusioned with Doctor Who and f- like got pretty not into it towards the end of his time. And I didn't really like Capaldi's first season very much either, uh, which would be series eight, I believe. I uh, was not enjoying it very much. A couple episodes here and there. But then starting kind of with Last Christmas through Series 9, that's when it started to turn back for me where I was like, ah, you know what? Like, I do like this again. And then Series 10 is where I feel like I fell back in love with uh, Doctor Who. And then Capaldi turned out to be one of my favorites uh, by the end where I was like, oh, fuck, I don't want this guy to go. (laughs) Did they change showrunners during that time? No, it was all Moffat. But I think in the middle, he had lost a lot of producers and support. And wasn't getting much help from anybody. So I think in the middle, he was doing basically everything. Uh, and I think it was really stressing around. And then towards the end is when he started, they kind of like BBC started hooking him up again, helping him out as he was on his way out. I think he pretty much did the last ones as like 
a favor because he I think he wanted to quit towards the end, but he tried to finish out strong and I'm glad he did. Because I think in the middle, it was like the beginning was amazing. His first season, I was like, oh, this is great. Then his second and third season, I was like, uh. <laughs> his yeah. fourth season, I was like, eh. fifth season, I was like, it's pretty good. Sixth season, I was like, I love this. Yeah, oh. it, it took time for Capaldi to, and I don't want to say it was Capaldi. I mean, it could, you know, but like I said, by the second season, the same thing. I, I was a little questionable the first one. I was like, uh, I don't know what I feel about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, you were already on Doctor Who as a as a sub <laughs> couple character. times actually. Yeah, is on so, twice. Uh, so yeah, I think the fires of whatever and oh, was, now was we're the, going really nerdy. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, anyway. So last Christmas was kind of what you know at the beginning of it, I was like, oh, it is a formality. Right? I was watching Doctor Who, but I wasn't really enjoying it. And that last Christmas special, I remember at the beginning, I was kind of like, oh, here we go, here's another one. Like, it probably sucks. And you know, I'm watching it. And it's and and to be fair, I actually did like the Matt Smith ones. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the the previous one, but those two I did like. Uh, and I think uh, last Christmas kind of re-sparked, and by the end, I was back on. Board. I was like, okay, you know, it was pretty good. I liked that a lot. Um, you know, and at the end, the doctor asked Clara something like, I can't remember the exact quote anymore, but like. Or she like one of them asked the other, like, oh, do you have any regrets? And I think she's like, oh, yeah, like a thousand, like and a million. And like, let's go make more. And is this mm-hmm. cool? I think in movies and fiction and stuff and like kind of positive thinking, people try to like be like, you know, no regrets all the time. But it's like YOLO. <laughs> well, not even, like, <laughs> no, YOLO's gone. I know. I know. But like, um, you know, saying something like no regrets or shit like i lived my life with no regrets is fucking stupid and i think is like i don't know something not many people can say and i think it's okay to live a life with regrets but like i think it was it was cool owning that right like oh i got a thousand like but that let's go make more let's go do more and like is like a sign of like i fucked up or you know i made mistakes and there's things i'm not happy with but let's keep living and let's keep going and let's you know and you're not living if you're not making mistakes and making regrets. I hate this no regrets bullshit like statement. <laughs> Put no regrets in the Die Hard is a Christmas movie box. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I it, it was something I was like, oh, it's cool, it's cool. Um, so I really like that's my favorite one. Yeah. So we've we've covered um, the shit. What are some it. other ones? Yeah. <laughs> some other some other ones. Um, the first community Christmas episode I loved because uh, Anthony Michael Hall comes up and is like a bully to, uh, you know, as a twist on, you know, his breakfast club, second breakfast club reference, his tw- twist on his breakfast club character. He's the the, co- the community college bully and he's beating up on them and stuff. And at the end, they get in this, you know, Greendale's trying to set up this like fake Christmas stuff all around with fake snow and stuff. And uh, they get in this giant like snowball fight outside and then they get, and then it turns into like just a real of them beating the shit out of each other fight. But that's what makes <laughs> the group like, you know, really come together for the first time, like truly. Um, so that's one of my favorites. I had forgotten that one. That was, <laughs> uh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. We've been, uh, we, we've been spent plugging breakfast club quite a bit <laughs> yeah. so far. Yeah. All right. What's one of yours? Because, you know, Breakfast, Breakfast Club is not a Christmas movie. No. <laughs> okay, so I got three more. I'll start with my my old classic. So Twilight Zone. Mm. And season two, episode 11, which aired on December 23rd, 1960 on CBS. It's called Night of the Meek. 
And it stars Art Carney, who is, uh, you know, was a very famous actor, you know, not for folks your age, probably don't remember uh, the Honeymooners with where him and Jackie Gleason were neighbors. And it was like kind of one of the first, you know, big domestic comedy sitcoms. Uh, you know. I know what the Honeymooners is. Yeah, but I've, yeah. Never, I've never watched it. Yeah. And I mean, and he continued doing like movies and stuff into the late 70s, early 80s, I think. And but nonetheless, so he plays this uh, this drunk, and he's in this you know pretty crappy neighborhood, and he's like a, a store Santa. And before his shift shift, he's in uh, get, you know getting getting plastered at the bar, and then the bartender cuts him off, and then he goes and he shows up at uh, his job, and they fire him for being being drunk on the job, and you know, and someone asks him, you know, if what his one wish would be for Christmas, and he'd be like, you know, to to be, to, to give people what they want and be Santa Claus. So all of a sudden, he realizes that when he, uh, his sack that was full of like crap and junk, when he reaches in, he pulls out a wrapped present, and it's what that person he's given it to wanted. So hence, you know, and because yeah, he want, I think his his exact wish, uh, they said, what would you wish for? He goes, like, for the meek to inherit the earth. So, you know, the the old biblical passage. And it turns out this bag starts, you know, he's able to give gifts to everyone except for, like, a, the, uh, like the nun and the priest who are like, hey, you know, this is bogus, you know. Mm-hmm. Take them, you know, turn them into the cops. The cops, he pulls out like some bottle that the cop really loves. And, uh, you know, so basically he gives out all his gifts. And then one of the people he gave a gift to goes, well, you gave all of us these gifts, giving us this great Christmas. And he's like, uh, you know, like, but, but you didn't get anything. And he's like, all I wanted was to be able to give, give people because it's like it's a bad neighborhood and people are poor and down in their luck. So and as he's walking home, he passes an alley and there's a there's a sled there with reindeer and an elf and uh, he becomes Santa Claus. What he always wanted. Mm. So, which is a really cool episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice, not uh, dark twist as usual. Yeah. That was, um, and I remembered it and it took me forever to find it when I was, you know, looking up uh, Twilight Zone because mm-hmm. I remember the episode, but I had the actor wrong. I thought it mm. was Jack Klugman and that, which led me down darn different paths until I, cause I didn't remember that it was Art Carney, so which is interesting. But you know, and that, that's my old classic. And then my next two, well, you know, after we get one from you, I got two more, and they're just comedies, quick ones. Uh, yeah. So my next one is Arrested Development. Um, the episode is called Afternoon Delight. Um, oh goodness. Uh, I just remember Michael and maybe towards the end uh singing afternoon delight together at like a party or something at the christmas party or something and michael realizing well, not realizing what he's singing about till i think way later he's like oh shit <laughs> uh so. george michael yeah no 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 michael not george michael like oh the, yeah the dad uncle yeah, michael yeah. yeah he's like oh no no george michael would have been excited to be singing afternoon yeah, delight he would have been Hey, he's got good moves with a lightsaber. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Michael who's singing it, and then later he's like, oh, oh shit. Uh. <laughs> oh, oh, God. And I, I didn't get to that one when I was uh, I was doing a rewatch of uh, Arrested <laughs> Development during uh, yeah, the San Antonio two. snowstorm, and I only got to the be early in season two. So Yeah. 
my power came back on and I had heat again. So it was nice. I can't, uh, let me guess one of your Christmas episodes. Uh, I bet you can guess both of them. Uh, go, the office. Oh, but which one? They almost said the, the secret Santa episode. No, 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 not, not, not Yankee Christmas. No, no. Okay. No. Yankee Christmas is, is mine. Yeah. Cause that, the, the horrible shit he pulls at the iPod. Right. Yeah, I mean that, that that's a good one, and, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> Moroccan Christmas, yeah, that was another <laughs> one. But uh, a Benihana Christmas. Benihana Christmas, yeah, that's the yeah, other one. I, I mean, thought of. I mean, it, it, I mean, just because you know Michael's so distraught, you know, because he, he doesn't figure out, realize that, yeah, you, know, you just started dating a lady, and then you take a picture of her family and superimpose your face over her ex-husband and make it a Christmas card, and then buy your tickets to Jamaica. Yeah. Sandals, right? Or something? sandals, all inclusive sandals. <laughs> yeah, and we all know who ended up going there with him, the Janimal. But she, you know, so he's distraught. So freaking, uh, uh, who's Andy takes him and Jim and Dwight to Benihana, and the, <laughs> I mean the whole thing set up hilarious. The way Jim like boxes out Dwight, and Dwight has to sit on the other side away from them, and and it's just, and then the yeah. whole thing with them, you know, taking them home, the waitresses, uh, and then taking home, taking to the office Christmas party. You know, and I, and I have to admit now, you know, in this, you know, at this time, this, you know, probably wouldn't fly. The whole thing, him marking one of the girls to realize which one is his guy, was his girlfriend, <laughs> which is pretty, I didn't think of it at the time, but it's pretty bad. But, you know, and I probably laughed at it. So, because um, the actress who put, played one of the girls was not too, you know, she came out against it, wasn't too happy. And even Michael, uh, not Michael, but uh, it was really, really funny. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So my last one is to shocker. It's a surprise to you. <laughs> or maybe it's on your list. Maybe it's on your list. Maybe it's my last one. I, I got a feeling. I just got a feeling. Um, <laughs> it's American Horror Story Asylum. Oh, so, uh, I was like, no, I don't think you're nope. expecting that. <laughs> nope. nope. Wasn't expecting that. No, no they have a Christmas episode where Ian McShane played a serial killer who was like a dark, evil, like Santa guy. Oh, yeah. He would break into people's houses and murder the families. And he gets sent to the asylum. He's in the asylum. Uh, and it's kind of his episode oh. as they celebrate Christmas in, in a, uh, what's it called? It's called a Briarcliff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I forgot. Good. I forgot about that. That that was actually was a very good episode and, you know, in a different light. And uh, yeah. Um, and then uh, the, the nun is fighting the devil in that episode and shit. So it's a pretty it's a pretty good episode. Pretty dark. I was like, holy fuck. I think that was like one of the points where I had to like pause and be like, oh, my God, this this season is fucking crazy. Uh, my favorite horror story season. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, but we've discussed that one. Yeah. These guys probably don't want to, uh, and gals probably don't want to hear about that. So what's your last one? So my last one is The Strike. The which Strike? Is, yeah, episode 10 of season nine of Seinfeld. Oh, no, so, I haven't seen it. Oh, so it, it originally aired December 18th, 1997. Uh, George gets in trouble at work, and he gives his boss like a fake Christmas gift. And so, uh, and his boss is like pretty pissed. So he basically he blames it on his father's made up holiday, which is called Festivus. Oh yeah. Festivus. Yeah. That's so right. Festivus for the rest of us. And, yeah. uh, you know, with the aluminum, instead of a Christmas tree, it's an aluminum pole and, you know, the airing of grie grievances where, uh, you know, George's dad basically tells everyone <laughs> his grievance with them. 
and they have to listen to it. And then uh, feats of strength, we gotta wrestle George's dad. So the boss calls, uh, calls, um, and then Kramer thinks it's the greatest idea. So he convinces George's dad to basically get it, uh, you know, bring it, bring back Festivus and start holding it again. And it's, um, and Elaine ends up involved in in it, and it's just freaking hilarious. I mean, one of the funniest episodes. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. A Festivus for a rest of us, uh, you know, and uh, the airing of grievances. We've added the airing of grievances and feats of strength to the French family uh, holiday season. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. So that that's uh, that that's what I have for my favorite Christmas episode. Still, the Arrested Development one. I... Darn it. I, I'm going to have to rewatch that. <laughs> All right. Well, those are our favorite Christmas episodes. Um, we yeah, why don't about- you yeah, email us or, uh, you know, send us your favorite Christmas episodes because uh, you know, we, we'll check them out ourselves if we haven't already seen them. Yeah. Tweet them at us. Tell us your favorite ones. You're like, you idiots, you missed this, you know, and tell us because um, there's some good shows that I just haven't seen, like Seinfeld. I remember the episode vaguely, but I don't remember it too well enough to put it on the list. Um, but I think that's it for our hopefully only Christmas themed episode because I don't think we can, <laughs> I don't have We're another, out of material. We can, we We're out of material. A, we can do Christmas movies, but I think after talking about Die Hard that long, I think we burned that uh, that one out. We won't be doing that. Um, but you can uncover more secrets of Haven with us uh, on Mondays. Trouble drops very early in the morning, so you can tune in on your way to work or something. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, blah, 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 blah. You can even listen on YouTube. If you want to contact us, the easiest way is at troubledrewatchpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, that's a capital H and a capital T. Uh, we love podcasting. It's fun, but we also have a Patreon because uh, we also got, you know, the podcasting doesn't pay for itself, unfortunately, not yet. Unless you guys are uh, advertisers and you're listening. Uh, and yeah. You're, not, you're like, oh, I love this hatred of Die Hard. Uh, not that I hate Die Hard. I love the movie. Well, uh, they, these guys <laughs> could easily sell Preparation H yeah. and other uh, products of its ilk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you guys need trash bags advertised, we're on it. Uh, we'll wear them. No, I'm just kidding. Um so we have a Patreon. It's uh, at Trouble. You know, it's Troubled uh, Return to Haven. There'll be a link in the notes to this episode. We have three tiers. One dollar makes you a Haven tourist. You'll get access to production documents, which give you behind the scenes info, a fan shout out, a Wu Tang nickname, and a wrestler name. If you join our three dollars tier, you get all of that stuff plus access to our bonus series, Troubled with Extra Syrup. Uh, those drop once a month. Uh, we've covered a bunch of stuff. You know, books, soundtracks, TV shows, comic books, real life events, made up stories, blah, blah, blah. You can you can only imagine what we're going to talk about, but we always try to tie it back to Haven. Our final tier is Haven's Troubled tier. That's $5. You're going to get director's cuts and an opportunity to set up a Q&A with us over Zoom. Or, you know, if you want to, you know, do an exchange through text, that's fine, too. We want to hear from you. Uh, but that is it for us. We'll be back on a Monday. Thank you for listening. This is Alex French. And this is Rich French. I want to echo Alex's thanks and, uh, you know, thank all of our uh, Patreon supporters and all of our listeners in general. We, we appreciate your support. We hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. And uh, once again, just thank you. And as I always end things, please be safe, 
And most importantly, never let your troubles get you down. Well, we should wish him a happy, happy. Oh shit! Yeah, happy, uh, happy, <laughs> happy Christmaca, right? Happy Festivus. <laughs> happy Festivus, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever holiday you celebrate, uh, or you know you don't want to celebrate, we wish you the best with that and the best in life. But I've... summer, any kind of um, summer, summer celebration. <laughs> exactly. It, it doesn't have to be any type of theme, religious or not. Whatever holiday you celebrate, you, and it could be a holiday you make up for yourself. Mm-hmm. We support you and wish you the best at it. So after that, now, <laughs> remember, never let your troubles get you down.